you're listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons & Simmons, the gaming and immersive tech team's podcast, bringing you insights within tech, gaming, and the metaverse. Hi, it's Vishal Patel and James Cherry again, and you're listening to part two of the Gatekeepers series, The Frontier of Gaming, with Philip Collins of Convoy Ventures, a gaming-focused venture capital firm based in the US. In this part two, we continue our discussion with Philip and take a closer look at Web3 and blockchain games, what they are, their offering, and how the landscape is developing. So, Philip, we've established you know, you know, you know your stuff, um, but we're, now we're going to get into the, the sort of the, a deeper dive into some of the technologies uh, in, in the gaming space. Um, and I know stuff that this is particularly things that you've talked about quite a lot. Um, in some of your other public appearances. So um, we're going we're gonna to touch on Web3 and blockchain gaming. Um, to those among us who may not know what they are, uh, me included, I will act as if I, I, I'm not aware. So imagine you're telling me, Philip, in your words, what is what is Web3? And then link to that, what what is blockchain gaming? Yeah, so I think Web3 at a, at a high level is essentially viewed as the next iteration of the internet. And so the reason it's the third iteration is We've gone through three distinct phases, according to, to the consensus in the market. Web one was essentially the read phase. So you were able to consume information that was provided through the internet in a way that hadn't previously been possible. Web two was- slowly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Web two was kind of the read and write phase where you're not only consuming content, you're also able to give back into this interconnected system of everyone across the world. And you're able to provide your own thoughts, your own insights, and basically just contribute to this, this web one world that had previously been more for consumption than creation. And then web three is viewed as the ownership phase of that. So you're now able to consume content, create content, but also really own your online experience. And while I think web three is often synonymized with cryptocurrency and, and the finance aspect of it. Ownership there is, is not even just about owning your financial security. It's also about owning your data and owning your owning owning virtually every part of your experience. Um, and, and so that, that's kind of been the evolution that's gotten us to Web3. And I think that's why it's been met with so much hype over the last you know several years. Um, but it truly is changing the way that that users experience their digital life and their digital their digital identity. Um, and importantly, you know a big component of web three on the ownership side is decentralization. So a lot of people, and there's kind of two camps. there's the there's the web three maxis that are are very, very, very focused on decentralization. They hate the idea of a bank, for example, that actually holds my assets. They're not really mine. They're kind of being held for me. In Web3, it's a distributed network of peers where there's no central source of truth, but rather every member, every participant of the network is contributing to the security and to the proper function of the of this blockchain ecosystem. Um, and so... Well, I know I mentioned that finance has always been a, a big part of this. DeFi is really the core of, of blockchain historically. Um, and we've seen a lot of things around that, you know, DAOs um, and and whatnot from the financial financial and the social angle. Um, but but really the, the key of the web three aspect is this decentralized organization of people in a in a digital environment. Um, and that has endless use cases, even though it's been more for the, the financial aspect uh, historically. Um, 
when you look at this in the context of video games, game is, games are really no, no different than, than the Web3 use cases we've historically seen. I think there's a financial side and then there is a social side. And the, the proliferation of, of blockchain gaming has really been based off of this ethos of ownership. And I think if we look back to early last year, when, when the first real success in the space, Axie Infinity, took off, that's exactly what was happening. Um, where users were not only encouraged to really own their digital assets through their axes, which are their in-game characters that they're able to play with, but they're also able to participate in some of the upside of this game ecosystem. Because even though there is a team and a company that is building this game, that company has ownership of part of the ecosystem, and then every other player that comes in also is able to have ownership of the ecosystem, and that means the upside of what happens within that game world. And so that was really the dawn of, of play to earn, the first wave of, of blockchain gaming. And I think we've seen a we've seen a pretty fulsome cycle over the last 18 months. And 18 months is a very short cycle, um, but we've kind of gone from this earning first capability, which is really what Axie highlighted to us and became such a global phenomenon, again, because people in the Philippines were making more than minimum wage playing Axie Infinity. And so in a post-COVID or mid-COVID job market where things were really tough, they were actually providing for their families through a video game because they were able to be a part of the upside of this game. Um, and that was a very powerful tool and really put blockchain gaming on the map. I think since then, we've seen an evolution where blockchain gaming is a very controversial topic uh, in the gaming world and outside the gaming world. It's just, it, it poses a lot of really good and, and hard questions. I think one of them being, does, does an audience or a player base really need to be financially incentivized to play a game? Historically, players have played because they're playing, paying for entertainment, just like you would with a movie or a TV subscription. You are receiving value in a non-financial form um, whereas, you know, historically that's, that's been the case. Now you're, you're unlocking player financial rewards for, for engaging with content. Um, I think where, where we're seeing blockchain gaming going forward is blockchain is a really interesting tool within video games. Um, it's a way for users to truly own their asset because there is no centralized source of truth that owns it. Um, whereas in, in gaming in the past, it has typically been Cosmetic items are available for use, but you're essentially at the mercy of the publisher. Or when you log on to a given game, you have the asset, you're able to use it, you're not able to tra trade, you're not able to sell, and that's kind of the end of it. You're basically paying for the license to borrow it while you're on the game ecosystem. Whereas blockchain is now en enabling people to truly own their assets on chain, no matter if they're in that game or outside of that game that digital asset is associated with their individual wallet and they truly own it. And I think that's kind of been the, the core part of blockchain gaming that people have moved to as, as play to earn has been really difficult to manage. You basically are managing your own economy and the, the team that manages a play to earn economy is essentially acting as a central bank and trying to keep it afloat and to keep it evolving as you move forward um, with that economy. Um, and so I think we've seen, we've seen blockchain gaming um, evolve a lot over the last 18 months. Um, it's continuing to evolve. It's continuing to be highly controversial. Um, but you know the, the core use case today, uh, and this is a, still a controversial one, is the, the full ownership of your assets and, and being a, a genuine part of the, the ownership of a game environment and game community. Is it, is it sort of just sort of taking that full ownership 
question because obviously we and we've touched upon this with say the skin markets with such as counter-strike and mm -hmm. and and trading assets in that way is, is it truly that you're is it sort of looking into that that future where we do have potentially this interoperability between uh obviously because blockchain sort of potentially gives us that opportunity to create more interoperability is, is that where blockchain is really going to offer something different from, say, sort of a closed platform environment where we're able to move these assets around and, and, and really own that value? Is is that really is that sort of where it's going? Because obviously that's that's quite a difficult difference to make. So we, we have seen markets where we're able to sort of I don't know trade usernames and things like that, trade accounts. And mm -hmm. You can see those being put. So that there is that theoretical idea that you can have some degree of ownership over the the say avatar that you've created or something to that effect. But how how is blockchain really going to make that entirely different from a practical perspective, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fair and really interesting pushback that we see in blockchain gaming where the question is always, what is this providing that can't be done off chain? And to your point, I mean, I don't think there's a there's a technical possibility off chain to have game asset A move into game B um, if those developers were were willing to to collaborate. And I think that's always the question with interoperability is is beyond tech, technology, are people willing to work together and kind of share in the the value creation across games? Um, but I do think it does enable that interaction across games in a very seamless way. Um, and part of that is because these on-chain assets have their, their underlying metadata stored on-chain. And so you're able to, to very seamlessly kind of understand what asset A is when it goes into uh, to game B. And, and so I think that there, there, is a, there is a more seamless approach to transferability and interoperability when you have on-chain assets. And also, you know, on-chain, you have these centralized storage facilities, whether that's an, an OpenSea or just a given wallet, um, where your, your asset truly does already exist outside of the game itself. Using it in the game is essentially verifying that that wallet owns this thing. Um, so I think having these assets stored in a wallet is an easier way and kind of like your digital passport to cross experiences, um, whereas it's maybe a little less brute force than this asset exists in this other game and we're gonna just kind of recreate it in another, in a different game. Um, and so I, I do think there is some, some integration work that it alleviates, uh, but it is definitely a fair question that, I mean, is it is it absolutely 100% necessary for an asset to be transferable? Not necessarily. And I think that is a that is a fair pushback on, you know, the, the question around what what is novel here. And I wonder, <clears throat> just to, and obviously keen to get your views on this as well, I wonder, You've said, you know, there's, you know, there's like obviously no use case, but I wonder if part of it is actually like, you know, in the same way, uh, one generation, like our generation would be different to the generation before us. Is, do you think part of the reason why this is going to still be a relevant point, i.e., you know, having this interoperability and moving things you own digitally from one place to another, because the desire or the sort of the attitudes of users is going to, is what well, arguably it's changing already, right? Like there's going to be a whole generation of kids that in like five to 10 years time will obviously become adults and they've grown up around screens and see the value of that, uh, like having assets. And it, to be honest, like I'm not 
beyond the time of where you know having a skin or having uh, a particular item within a game like you know i was draw back to sports games but in you know in fifa it's always great to have like the the football boots that your player can have and that kind of thing but i imagine if that's just only getting stronger right Uh, yeah no for sure and i mean i think changing consumer expectations and demands is something that we talked a lot a lot about um, kind of in the early days of axie infinity where you know these players got used to taking ownership of their game economy and they also got used to taking ownership of all of their assets and once you see that, it's it is kind of harder to go back, right? Where if you look at like a Valorant or Riot Games model, I buy a skin. Say I spend thirty dollars on a skin. That skin is locked up in that game. I can never do anything with it. There's no market for me to sell it. It's almost a consumable. Where that it's like it's like buying a buying food. You know, you you pay for it, you consume it, and then there's nothing left to do. You know, you're you're getting your you're getting your benefit, and you you just kind of take it. Um, whereas with a an asset that you can buy, sell, trade, you truly do have autonomy of it moving forward. And I think that that actually reduces a lot of price sensitivity up front. And I think that's how we saw Axie prices reach such crazy levels is the fact that there was potential value accretion from that. Um, and that it just, you know, it wasn't a, a sunk cost to the user. It truly was a tradable asset that if they decide to move to a different game, they're able to sell that to somebody else that wants to come in and play that game. And that'll be you know more utilitarian with it. Um, and so I think I do, I do think that changing consumer expectation is a really important component of this. And well, I think we're still still too early to say that blockchain gaming and play to earn has changed consumer expectations to that point. I do think there's something to be said that over time, as users truly own their assets and are able to, you know, move them, um, I think I, I do think that will be something that it will be harder to return to the traditional model of a more consumable uh, revenue approach. I suppose it's almost. I, I always look at it as para parallel to sort of collectibles and things like that where mm-hmm. obviously there was sort of that during during Box. covid there was <laughs> there was a big renaissance in say pokemon cards where you had people doing unboxings and things like that with certain pokemon cards and the value just obviously skyrocketed and then if you yeah. sort of look back to the early noughties with like ty beanie babies and things of that craziness where just the value rocketed i suppose with the way i sort of see blockchain games of really having value is that kind of mix of, like you said, the ownership of something that's potentially rare, that ability to also get something that's potentially rare without having to spend your life savings on it. And then at the same time, that kind of added utility factor and something that's a new experience as well. I suppose that would, is how I would sort of envisage blockchain games really, really getting there their value over a different market, I guess, almost. Yeah, and, I, and I, I do think that's exactly what makes true ownership important and compelling to the user. Um, I, I think that that collectible aspect is is why it's been so popular, and that's why the NFT boom has happened to the extent that it did, where people are spending quarter million dollars on an NFT because there's status, it's a collectible, you're part of a, an exclusive social group, um, and I think that that's, that collectible aspect of it has been really critical to date because with digital items, it's not necessarily what we're used to or expecting. Yeah, I'm really hoping NFTs get a little more complex than just sort of gif though of a monkey and things like that. One hundred percent. And I do, I do think that's why you know the, going back to the conversation around what is Web three and then what is blockchain gaming. Blockchain gaming has been 
a really, or gaming has been a really interesting and important use case for NFTs and for these, these DeFi systems, because there is a practical utility that people are already really excited about. And that is, that is gaming. And, and so I do think gaming has been one of the, the core Trojan horses for on-chain assets to really thrive because there's an undoubtable use, undoubted use case to those assets. And I think we will see them become more complex over time. Like there will be a lot of innovations, but no, I, I totally agree. I mean, a lot of, a lot of NFT collections have definitely been priced at ridiculous, nonsensical levels. Con um, concerning levels, I would yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Agree. I 100% agree. Uh, so I guess it seems like there's a consensus that NFTs have a bit of time to, a bit of work to do before they become, you know, before they can be considered as like doing well. But I guess leading on to that then, as uh, a nice little segue, in terms of blockchain games generally, um, you know, in your opinion, who does it well and why do they do it well? Do Does anyone do it well? You know, what are the, from your sort of bird's eye view of the industry that you're, you're seeing from your day-to-day -day work, like what are you what are you seeing? What are the common themes? Like what should we be looking out for in terms of development in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that we're, we're still very early. So I think doing it well is very relative to how early we are in this market. Um, I think everyone that's live right now and that has created a blockchain game and has it public is is really the first mover in this, in this very complex and technical world. And so I think that you know groups like Axie have done very well in proving out this model of allowing players to earn, allowing players to own their assets and allowing players to, to really be a part of the game ecosystem. But you know we haven't really seen any deep games that you would think of as a great video game. And I do think that is a that is a key source of contention for blockchain gaming, where you know everyone's just kind of looks around and says, like, none of these games are that good. Like, why should I care? And I do view that as a bit of a short-sighted view right now. Um, where yes, I think that in terms of common themes that we're gonna see, blockchain game quality is eventually going to converge on traditional games. And they're going to be competing on quality. They're not going to be competing on exactly how much can I earn, exactly you know, what am I able to own. They're going to be competing on a compelling game that integrates the benefits of ownership and the benefit of, being, of participating in upside of a game ecosystem. And that's going to be rooted in the fact that it's a really good game that people want to play. So I don't think going to a game for the purpose of earning is necessarily going to be something that we see as a core tenant of blockchain gaming. I don't think that the earning mechanism is ever going to be substantial enough to really compel a significant portion of the world to do that. And I think at the end of the day, the, the purpose of gaming is to, to, to be entertainment, to have fun, and to, to really enjoy your experience. And I don't think blockchain gaming is going to change that as a requirement um, for, for video games. Um, what I will say is it's been really interesting over the last year because as more capital's flown into blockchain and Web3 and specifically blockchain gaming, that's really attracted a lot of high quality founders. And so I think there's almost a self-fulfilling feedback loop there where the more money coming in has, has brought really great games teams to blockchain gaming. And building a great game isn't something you're going to do overnight. So I do think we're still a couple of years away from seeing those great games that are using on-chain mechanics. However, I do think that this last cycle of excitement and hype has actually brought a lot of really, really capable people in here that have long-term visions and will execute on that fun-first strategy. 
And I think that you know, three years from now, we're going to have some really great games that that are integrating blockchain, and those games will be winning off of the game itself um, versus again the the amount that I'm able to earn and the way that blockchain is integrating. And as that happens, I think that the notion of blockchain gaming will fade. And just like so many other aspects of the gaming tech stack, blockchain will become an important tool to hopefully improve the user experience, but not something that we even need to talk about, right? A game's coming out, you don't even talk about the fact that it has blockchain in it. Um, that's just part of the tech stack that the development team the, the development team used, and it's happening all on the back end. So I think there is this conversion that will happen. And from a theme perspective, I think that's the most important theme that we'll see. And that's a that's a multi-year process, and this is definitely a long game. Um, so so that that's kind of where I see it playing out. But the the good game aspect is going to be the most critical. Yeah, and I guess just touching on the good game, not saying these are you know these go hand in hand, but uh, I'm gonna pin you to something I've heard you say before, but welcome to the world of being a lawyer. Um, I, I think I, I think I heard you mention in, in, a, in another public forum that um, one, one of the ways that sort of blockchain games could do well, and you, you know, mentioning on the point that there hasn't been a great blockchain game is sort of the the, the introduction of like a triple IP or like a massive uh, sort of a game that already has a standing, uh, as I said, not, not necessarily, necessarily saying that it already is great quality, but like sort of the driver. So like, I don't know, take an IP like a Call of Duty or something. Mm -hmm. Why why is it that you think that these these players of the or the owners of these IP, sorry, are being a bit slower to enter into this space? Is it is it a case of we're just gonna we're gonna watch and see what happens? We'll, we'll let everyone work out the kinks, or is there? Or do you think it's just they think it's not worth it at this point? I think a lot of them just have the luxury of waiting and seeing how this plays out. And especially with the current sentiment among traditional players, I mean, the blockchain gaming player base is actually incredibly small. You can think of it as several million in a sea of several billion. And so I think I think a lot of the publishers view their brand risk as not worth the market opportunity as it exists today. And so I do think they just they have the luxury of waiting and seeing if that if that sentiment changes. And we have seen some large publishers like Ubisoft try to take a leadership position. And it makes sense, right? That if if this succeeds, the people that come in earlier will be rewarded, but it also comes at a high risk. Um, but they just they just don't want to expose their beloved IPs to this devilish technology stack that so many people hate so so vehemently. Um, and and yeah, so I think that's a big part of it. I think a lot of these big publishers that do enter the space will probably try it with some maybe less prominent IPs as a as a test case where they're not really diluting their brand image and it, it's kind of a a true experiment where they can test their hypothesis and see if they're able to improve their game or their experience for their audience. Um, but at this point, like if I'm Activision, I'm just kind of sitting back and, and observing and and waiting to to make sure that I'm not alienating my my massive Call of Duty user base for the for the current attention of a few million players that we might be able to reach. And yeah, plus, I think there's also there's also more way to go in terms of making making blockchain a seamless experience in games. I think that's another another way that publishers will come in where you know they don't even have to really like advertise or or, or make the experience of going on chain prominent to the user where you, you don't have to create a wallet and you don't have to buy a certain currency to get started where it's just like a automatic onboarding process. And you know, none of the games that are that are currently live are really doing that in the most seamless way. And so I think there's still tech development in the background that'll make that more 
feasible. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. As I say, being, yeah, being having the luxury is a wonderful thing, right? If I, yeah, I think I think intentionally adding friction is, is yeah. something that no publisher is excited about doing. I think today that's probably what they'd be doing. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, you kind of can't blame them for, for for sitting and waiting. Especially when, you know, yeah, I might be getting a bit theoretical here and talking, commenting on society, but, you know, people's attention spans are getting shorter, so more friction. It's just going to annoy more people, I think. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, it's all Seam seamlessness is godliness at this point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I imagine, you know, we've touched on it already, but like sort of around if Metaverse ever takes off and it becomes a single interoperable universe, then friction is going to be a massive point. So they need to figure that out right now yeah. or not now, but like, you know, in the next few iterations. Yep. That concludes part two of our Frontier of Gaming series. Hopefully you've got a better sense of all things Web3 and blockchain gaming. In part three, we'll finish off our conversation with Philip by first touching on DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations before covering some of the top issues within Web3 and blockchain gaming. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and share on whichever platforms you use. Equally, if you have any questions, would like to discuss anything we've talked about or would be interested in appearing on Gatekeepers, please contact us. You've been listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons & Simmons. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to having you back next time.